Hello everyone. Welcome to Japan Casting Podcast. I'm Praveen Sharma, your host from India. Professor Steve McCarty is coming up with an episode today on stakes and stakeholders in the Japanese education system. Just to share with you that this podcast was recorded as a presentation in 2005. So precisely 17 years have passed and this podcast as a normal MP3 device recording is coming to all of us. We are thankful to Professor Steve McCarty for sharing this. This is a 26-minute presentation on Japanese education given to American school teachers visiting Osaka. It is a critical view and the situation has become more relaxed overall since the time of this presentation which was delivered in 2005 but the fairly complete picture of factors affecting education in Japan is still a relevant set of issues the presentation proceeded according to the outline given in this blog that you can read as well which can help listeners understand better We are not just going to understand what are stakes or what's at stake we shall also relate it with Japanese education and also the ethnicity the ethnic structure of Japan along with different factors be it politics be it the policies of the ministries as well thank you very much welcome again to Japan casting by professor Steve McCarty Stakes and stakeholders in the Japanese educational system. I Steve McCarty at Osaka Jogakuin College on July 7, 2005, and we have a group of teachers from the U.S. who are observing classes here. Okay, first of all, stakes. So, what's at stake in the educational system? Everyone's perceived value or worth, and then you have to consider that this is more of an other-oriented society than the West. And so your perceived value or worth then looms larger. Education is a more salient determiner of people's fortunes in Japan than in the West, because of East Asian traditions. And East Asia means the China, Korea, and Japan. And so China is, you know, one of the cradles of civilization. So a lot of these traditions originate there. So these traditions result in certain phenomena. For example. Big company dominance and attendant difficulty to be an entrepreneur, and there's a rigid career track. It's difficult to explain, but you start out on a certain track and you can't you can't get out of it. So you get kind of typecast, or or uh, you can't change your the level of occupation and various uh, parameters. So so the so the trajectory that you start out on tends to uh, continue. So that also that makes then your terminal degree then especially important. And then Japan is a credentialistic society, so it's very difficult to uh, to do work that you don't have a credential for, for example. And then people's uh, credentials are very much a part of their social status. Another phenomenon is the absorption of individuals into groups. So there's a kind of a centripetal force, you know, they're pulling pulling people into uh, affiliations with uh, with groups, especially peer groups. That I'll explain later. So one curious phenomenon about uh, Japan is that uh, even people are not as close, even within their families, as you would expect, compared to other countries. And the reason is this peer group phenomenon. 
that people are matched with people in their own category of, of work, of education, or something. So you tend to be closer to your friends or classmates than even to uh, other siblings, and so forth. And then there's also a valuing of similarities and affiliations and teamwork, connections, and impersonal data over individual qualities and distinctions. So for example, you can't go to a job interview and impress someone very well by how, how your you know, unique uh, qualities and things like that. that more like that impersonal data is, is what more talks or is uh, salient. Uh, and, and for example, how a teacher is evaluated also. And there is in this society in East Asia a preferential treatment for especially older males and, and eldest sons. So with females mainly in subservient roles. So I, I hate to say this, but it's just, it's just a simply a fact of life. Uh, it's a man's world. Uh, and it's not only Japan, but in most, uh, most countries it's so. So, and also traditions are often stronger than laws. So the Japanese constitution may say that, uh, that, uh, that women are equal to men, that there is equal opportunity in this country. But it just simply is not so. There just is not a, a deep tradition of that kind of equality or even democracy. So actually that section of the Japanese constitution was written by an American woman who managed to persuade the people at that time in the post-war uh, period. So it has never really stuck or been accepted by the, by the gerontocracy that leads uh, Japan, the older men. And then uh, thus, education is a strong predictor of lifelong income, particularly for men. So women may be housewives, and, uh, and uh, maybe for the sake of the children's education, not because they're lazy. I know it's true of my wife and our two kids. If my wife did go off to work, then the kids' uh, education would simply suffer, so it would be penny-wise and pound foolish. So as regrettable as it is that she can't continue her career, then it's, uh, it seems to be necessary under the circumstances. So a, a high education may not be so much of a predictor for women as it is for men. Now for college graduates, uh, one's highest degree and the prestige of a university is a lifetime badge. So it makes a, a big difference in people's minds whether they have heard of that college or not, uh, for example. So without a college degree, it is difficult to get hired for white-collar work. So the prestige of her husband's college, along with that of her own college, accrues to a housewife. So the status of a husband tends to accrue to the, to the housewife. For example, if a bunch of Japanese uh, families are living abroad, like in New York City or something, the, the, even the hierarchy among the housewives is is related to the hierarchy among the men at their workplace. So the, the highest up man and his wife would be the leader among the, the women. So the man, it's a, it's a kind of an affiliate, affiliation way of thinking. So people tend to associate with peer groups, which usually arise from their educational background. So your first peer groups are like your, your preschool class, and that's really where you become Japanese. And then, uh, so then this year, various junior high school and high school, you know, classes become your main peer group, and then your class in college, uh, and so those, and then it would be your the, the your 
people in the same section of your workplace. So this is where people mostly associate. So self-image tends to depend on acceptance by one's peers and superiors. So who views a person hardly in terms of educational background. So remember, again, this is an other-oriented society, and not so much the individually centered. So therefore, your self-image is very vulnerable to how, what other people think about you. You can't really maintain a good self-image in, in Japan if people don't like you. So therefore, people would rather be liked than to be right. It's safer to pretend to be stupid than to stand out. So we have to watch. So we have to look beneath the surface with uh, Japanese students. And even mental health can depend on paying for good schools to avoid bullying or other troubles. Some problem teachers may be transferred to all to a, to a less prestigious school, and so which compounds the problems they have there. So although the system is a meritocracy in theory, advantages can be bought such as extra lessons for one's children to succeed in the education rate. And this rate gets very intense as it gets toward the all-important uh, college entrance exam stage. So most uh, doctors, for example, tend to be children of doctors. So the advantages uh, accrue to the next generation. So connections formed in school can be a key to advancement as former classmates or teachers and open career doors for someone they favor. And then a general comment is that uh, greater awareness and choices accrue to those who learn more at better schools. So I always teach my students in learning English that if becoming bilingual, you'll have greater choices. And for matrimony, parents check a potential daughter-in-law's written credentials, perhaps even a resume, with a view to her family's status being equivalent or higher than theirs, or gauge how promising a potential son-in-law's career is according to what schools he has attended. So I think families are looking for someone of either of equivalent or higher social status when it comes to, to marriage. So the sphere of action of Japanese people is another thing at stake. The sphere of action is confined to their ethnic group unless they achieve foreign language proficiency much higher than average in Japan, which would start to open the world to them. Empowerment by technology or finding out their rights, entitlements, and so forth is largely a matter of education, whether formal or informal. Self-improvement or self-realization where differences or uniqueness may be viewed as a threat to group cohesion is also largely a matter of education. So happiness and what have you is what is at stake in the educational system. So next we'll turn to the stakeholders after discussing the various stakes involved. Who has a stake in the educational system? Everyone in the society does, including foreign residents. And what groups in particular are stakeholders in the system? Well, national diet members. They control budgetary priorities. They form or amend education-related laws. And there is a neoconservative trend among politicians 
they, so they have seen how effective it has worked in the U.S., and so they seem to be uh, imitating that uh, approach to uh, monopolizing political power. So you can see a similar trend. The next prime minister after Koizumi will probably be even more conservative and will cause even more friction with the Asian neighbors and so forth. And then the flag and the national anthem are forced on teachers. So there have been some incidents, like where the Tokyo Board of Education has punished the teachers who refuse to, say, stand up or refuse to have students uh, to, uh, sing the national anthem. The, the so-called Kimi Gayo originally was an ode for, for the emperor to live 10,000 years, and, and it has but, uh, wartime associations, you know, the, the Japanese rising sun flag and, uh, and that uh, anthem. So, so a lot of uh, teachers uh, that don't like it but are more or less forced to, uh, to go along with it. And the, the government is tightening their grip in this, in this area as part of the rightward you know, trend in politics. And so there is also a new uh, personal information privacy law that, uh, among other things, that restricts what uh, teachers can do. So we have to be careful even we like to have the our star students then have their you know words and voices on available to others on the World Wide Web and so forth. But we have to be careful about where it may uh, impact upon you know uh, uh, privacy uh, privacy laws uh, that our college administration would be acutely concerned about. And so another stakeholder, a big stakeholder, is the Education Ministry, which is. Uh, consists of career bureaucrats, you know, as opposed to temporarily, you know, uh, elected politicians and so forth. So they have a real power behind the, the scenes. And, and there's a national unified curriculum for elementary and secondary schools. They even say, like, which 2,000 words that, of English that students are supposed to know at a certain stage, I mean, listing every word. So it's a very uh, strict and controlled uh, curriculum uh, nationwide. So everyone is more or less on the college track, no matter you know what their you know ability or learning style. And so of course there are winners and losers in that system. And the education ministry screens all textbooks, and they can request changes before approving them for sale and use. And so this has been another cause of, uh, of friction with uh, China and uh, Korea. So, for example, that uh, China and Korea say that Japan or, or newly revised textbooks, uh, even more than previous textbooks, then whitewash uh, Japan's uh, atrocities in World War II. And, uh, but at the same time, the Chinese and Korean uh, the textbooks are not objective either. And they don't admit that, uh, that since World War II that Japan has become a you know, a peaceful country that has contributed so much to those Asian countries themselves and through especially a, a lot of overseas development assistance. And anyway, there's a, also that conservative trend that then is affecting uh, textbooks, although the teachers don't like to use those textbooks, and if they have a choice, then almost all the schools and teachers uh, will use the less, uh, the less uh, censored uh, textbooks. And uh, the education ministry is the sole accreditation authority, so which occurs in advance of offering an educational program. So, that, so it's so different from the U.S. system of the peer 
accreditation, which often comes after programs are, are established. You have to be accredited in the first place to even open a school. So it's, a, a, it's quite a system, uh, quite a difference from what you're familiar with. And uh, the ministry controls budgets of schools and universities, and even private colleges depend on government subsidies. So they are therefore influenced and affected strongly by the ministry policies. The ministry makes copious rules and regulations for schools and universities, especially for public schools. So the ministry defines and narrows the scope of innovation in teaching methods, content, and technology. So, for example, by just the kind of the things that they have you filling forms about shows that those things are important. For example, a college teacher may fill out how many times did you go abroad for to give a presentation or study in the past year, and then that's quantified. So it shows what's value to them. Of course, this is directed to to try to put a fire under a Japanese faculty members who might otherwise not do that. So it has a positive effect of productive pressure in that case. And in other ways, and students are, our teachers are straight-jacketed by all the regulations from the, the ministry. So, the, so in that sense, a positive sense, the ministry pushes staff, teachers, and professors to work harder by rewarding excellence, spurring research, teaching, and in-service training, requesting the submission of detailed data, or punishing institutions for non-compliance. So there is a new system to evaluate colleges and universities, again, which is not peer accreditation, but external evaluations by ministry appointees. So there hasn't been that much uh, uh, evaluation uh, until now of, of institutions. But uh, there's a new system. Actually, if the people are appointed by the ministry, then they must have a similar way of thinking, and even if they are considered technically you know, independent of the, the ministry. So the ministry pretty much has its hand in everything, including the, the, you know, uh, influencing the politicians. So now another uh, stakeholder is the local boards of education. Well, they consist of nearly all conservative older men who tend to side with the education ministry. So of course they're of a, of a similar you know, culture and institutional culture as the, the bureaucrats. But uh, in, in stark contrast to that, the teachers' unions tend to be leftist and resist the enormous controls placed on school teachers but have little power to do more than shame the government with public pronouncements. School administrators, another stakeholder, are mostly older men, with women represented more at the elementary school level. And they are obliged to enforce rules handed down from the education ministry or their board of education. So although they may sympathize with teachers, their hands are tied pretty much, I think. And PTA associations, which in a way are very active, but they are nearly powerless and tend to do the bidding of school administrators. And at the same time, the housewives in particular contribute a lot to the school events and make friends at the same time through the networking involved in organizing the school events. So I think women who work and uh, are able to avoid these uh, PTA activities, but uh, and then uh, by the same token, then and housewives that tend to be saddled with the committee and other responsibilities that they may not want. But there is a silver lining for most women in that they tend to be 
uh, isolated as housewives, and so this allows them to network and, and make friends through these group uh, affiliations. So another general thing about Japanese society is for all the people that you see around them, they can't meet each other unless they have some specific structure or format that brings them together. Like if you said you met your wife in a single bar, then people would laugh at you, and they would be so shocked in this in this country that the way is through some formal in, uh, in, uh, invitation or introduction, or that you had something in common, like you were classmates or or something similar. So for all the the people that you see, they are a lonely crowd and they have a difficult time meeting each other. So that's the benefit of the PTA for uh, a lot of women in Japan. Now, taxpayers have a stake in the educational system, of course, so which costs so much uh, money overall. An increasing number of workers without children resent the inequity of subsidizing families with children. So, but the government ideology of monocultural harmony succeeds in stifling most uh, dissension. For example, the other day I, I went to buy my bus pass and I overheard a woman saying in Japanese to the uh, counter person, said, don't you have a bus pass for, for individuals? Uh, and I said, no, we only have it for families. So see, the woman was conscious of, of subsidizing uh, uh, families and through, through the rather expensive uh, bus pass. So those are the kind of inequities and, and uh, uh, don't easily come to the surface in Japan, though, because there, there are, are pressures against complaining and, and uh, appeals to group solidarity and so forth, the cycle descent. And there are losers in the education race, however, sometimes uh, who strike back by murdering children. So there have been sensational incidents where, where, uh, where uh, for example, when they were students, they flunked like an entrance exam or something, and they would go back to an elite uh, elementary school and, and mass murder children. So there have been shocking uh, incidents like that even in this uh, region. So, uh, it, so it shows that uh, you can't have winners in a system without having losers also. And you can only fool the losers so long before they, their resentment uh, boils over. And then companies uh, that sell training for credentials, they remember a credentialistic society. So the companies that sell these credentials of all sorts, and there are so many credentials at so many levels in so many things. So the companies that sell the, the credentials, uh, training for them, the tests, and it can include uh, even the companies abroad that sell, like say, a TOEIC or TOEFL test, you know, test of English as a foreign language. So they are also making big money out of this. And the companies that sell training for credentials, tests, the correspondence education, the huge industry in itself, and after-school cram lessons for all important uh, entrance examinations, or various lessons such as English conversation, are big winners in this uh, big stakes uh, education system. They benefit from the educational system, and uh, all of these entities, these companies, are a huge industry that is probably worth more yen than the GDP of most countries. So the media also have a grist for their meal in the great public interest in educational issues, and they advocate liberal or conservative positions on education in their editorials. So foreign residents, including ethnic Koreans and Chinese born and raised in Japan, have a stake in bilingual education, biculturalism, and their human rights in face of some prejudice and discrimination from the government and citizens. 
So among citizens, you know, it depends on the individual whether whether they you know have prejudice or not. But uh, in generally speaking, uh, it's not the same to be you know an ethnic Korean or to be a Westerner in Japan. You may be treated uh, um, you know better or worse, but not exactly the same. So foreign residents, for example, may like their children to uh, maintain their own uh, language. Uh, and so uh, what do you spend a huge amount of money to go to international schools? About $10,000 a year is typical, even secondary school. So if you would like your student, your children to, you know, have an English medium or bilingual instruction, or else uh, send your schools to, uh, students to local schools that are all in, in Japanese, and then if students are, say, three years old or six years old and suddenly thrust into that, into that system, then parents may like uh, some degree of a bilingual education, but is seldom available except possibly through volunteers outside of the school system per se. So we are all uh, stakeholders in cultural and linguistic ways. So foreign governments, uh, particularly in Asia, are our stakeholders because they take issue with the government-approved textbooks that, as I mentioned before, then uh, are distorting history or not uh, publishing the facts uh, about Japan's history. And did we forget any stakeholders in the educational system? Oh, the students! So lest they be forgotten, the students on the receiving end of an authoritarian educational system are also stakeholders whose vice is to want to have fun, like children everywhere. 